Usted está escuchando Radio Tierra en el 95.1 FM Hood River, 95.9 FM Stevenson, 107.1 FM Parkdale, 107.7 FM Dells, Casas, El Latido del Gorge, su radio comunitaria. You can always close your eyes. Hola, los invito a escuchar Conoce tu Columbia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada otro martes de 7 a 8 de la noche. Entérese de lo que pasa en las comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Columbia. Compartimos información sobre la importancia de proteger nuestros recursos naturales. Además, tocamos temas de justicia social y culturales que son relevantes para nuestras comunidades. Recuerde, escuche Conoce tu Columbia en Radio Tierra, el latido del Gorch, tu radio comunitaria. Qué difícil cantarle a Tierra Madre que nos aguanta y nos vio Hola, usted está escuchando Conoce tu Columbia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada 15 días los martes. Yo soy Ubaldo Hernández y pues bueno, esta tarde vamos a tener una conversación mucho muy interesante. Está eh, con nosotros Laura Shara, ella trabaja para la eh, nación de Yakma este, y va a hablar con nosotros sobre un tema que nos debe de importar como comunidad y vamos a estar hablando de la isla de Bradford, una isla que se encuentra localizada en el Bonneville Dam, ahí en Casket Locks, donde mucha gente va a pescar y esta zona pues está en, una, en un grave problema de contaminación, lo cual es importante que nuestra comunidad pues este, sepa qué es lo que está pasando ahí. Y vamos a aprender más de este de esta área y el problema que estamos enfrentando eh, como comunidad y el medio ambiente está siendo afectado por algunas decisiones mal tomadas. Esta entrevista va a ser en inglés, así es de que espero que les guste, les, in, les encuentren información interesante para que ustedes puedan hacer su propia decisión de ir a pescar a estas zonas, consumir pescado residente de esta zona y pues vamos a aprender bastante sobre esta este lugar. Um, we're going to start with this conversation. We have uh, Laura Shira. She has been working at the Yakama Nation for a long time. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi, Ubaldo. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How uh, are you doing? Really good. I'm really excited for this interview. I think we're going to learn a lot. And our community is, get, is going to get a lot of important information so we can uh, take action in order to protect the uh, Columbia River. I'm really excited. Me too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Laura, can you tell us a, a little bit about you so our listeners can uh, kind of connect with you and, and know who you are? Sure. My name's Laura Shira. I work for the Yakima Nation for their fisheries program. And I work on toxic cleanup sites on the Columbia River where the Yakima Nation uh, fisheries is, where they, where they fish from. And I've worked with Yakima Nation for about six years. I'm, a, uh, I'm an environmental engineer and a, and a hydrologist. I've worked uh, as a consultant for a while. I've worked um, as a regulator for the state of Washington toxic cleanup program for a while. I've also been a high school teacher. Um, and now I'm with the Yakima Nation. Laura, why did you end up working with Fort Yakima Nation? Well, I've 
always been interested in protecting the resources and cleanup is, is uh, one thing that felt fell really nicely into my training, environmental engineering and hydrology. Um, and so um, that helps me understand, you know, when someone does spill uh, pollution onto ground or into the water, it helps me understand where it goes and, and um, how to clean it up. And so um, when I worked in consulting and, and for the state, I really enjoyed doing that. But some of the sites were, um, all of the sites were contaminated, but not all of them were high priority. You know, the Yakima Nation picks sites that are are not only very contaminated, but they are affecting the resources. They are getting into the water, they're getting into the fish, and they're getting into people. Um, and so uh, um, I really uh, enjoyed their what they did um, and felt very strongly about um, protect, helping them protect the resources. And I felt like my work could make more of a difference um, working for the Yakima Nation. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, and one of the things that we're going to have a conversation is about the Columbia River and Bradford Island. Can you tell us about where Bradford Island is located? Sure. It's, uh, it's an island on the Columbia River. It's on the Oregon side. Um, for people who talk in river miles, it's 146 river miles upriver from the ocean. Um, it's about 30 miles west of Hood River, downstream of Hood River, or 10 miles east or upstream of Kamania, Washington. Um, Bradford Island is an island that helped form the Bonneville Dam. It actually uh, split the dam and the spillways. The bedrock of Bradford Island actually helped anchor in and form those dam structures. The Bonneville Dam is the last, the most downstream, the closest to the ocean dam on the Columbia River. Even though Bradford Island is on the Oregon side of the river, the contamination, the contaminated sediment, water quality, the fish, um, the fish that are contaminated affect both the Oregon and the Washington sides of the river for about up one mile upstream of the dam. I read this passage once um, from Lewis and Clark. They wrote that when they saw this island, when they first arrived on the Columbia River, they, ca they actually camped near Bradford Island and they called it uh, Brant Island. Um, they weren't the first to discover Bradford Island, and they weren't the first to be there. The Yakima Nation has lived and fished there for thousands of years since time immemorial. It's a very important place to the Yakima. The information that, that you are providing us also kind of reminds us that this place belongs to the Yakima Nation, to the Native Americans, and it's uh, uh, the place where they forever they've been using this place to fish to uh, feed their families and feed their communities yeah the yakima nation and and other tribes for them bradford island and north bonneville um, that whole area was a very important fishery for for thousands of years and um, the treaty of 1855 which the yakima nation were forced to sign at gunpoint, took that land from them, but kept their right to hunt and gather and continue fishing in those areas. And Yakima Nation was put on the reservation at that time. 
since the dam was built, uh, the problem is a star on this island, right? What, That's right. What happened on this island? Why is this island in trouble? Well, um, just a little bit about how we got there. Um, in the 1930s is when, I think it was around 1932, that they started building the dam, and, that, and it was the U.S. government, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, and so as they built that dam, they um, used different chemicals um, in the paints and in the electrical equipment. And as they operated that dam, they continued to use more and more of those chemicals. And so for over 40 years, from the 1930s to the 80s, the United States government dumped toxic pollution both on the island in a dump area and on just onto ground surface and into the river. And the types of things that they dumped were uh, mercury light bulbs, uh, electrical qu equipment containing PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls. Um, they used all kinds of pesticides, different petroleum products. And so all those things have contaminated the land, the sediment, and then all the things that live in the river, starting with the little bugs that live in the sediment on up to the crayfish and then and the fish that eat those crayfish and, and then the larger fish and, and then those of us that eat the fish there in that area. So this is this has been a problem for decades and um, it still is today. And so we consider it an emergency. Um, the investigation of the area by the U.S. government started in 1997, so that's over 24 years ago, um, and there's been a lot of delays, a lot of lack of funding, um, They've and they're still investigating, um, and so there's been a, a little bit of emergency equipment removal um, in, in the hottest of areas, but, but really the the whole area the area is very contaminated and so we consider it an emergency because um, the the resident fish there um, which are the fish that live there all year round they don't travel um, things like bass um, pike catfish sturgeon those are the fish that are relying on food sources from that area and some of them don't go very far um, like the bass. Um, smallmouth bass, they, they only travel a mile or two in their lifetime. And so what, what they're eating is, is um, if they are living around Bradford Island, would be um, more likely to be heavily contaminated. And so it's not what you see at Bradford Island, it's what you don't see. It's really hard for people to understand how, how contaminated this is and how much of an emergency it is because it's a beautiful place to see. It's a beautiful setting. But what you don't see is that under the surface in the river, sediments and fish, it's really heavily polluted with contaminants, especially um, worrisome one is polychlorinated biphenyls, PCBs, which can cause cancer and other problems, uh, pesticides, metals. So they, both Washington and Oregon in the, in, um, in the 2000s, they decided to, because fish data had been collected on, on, and we started to learn how contaminated the fish were, both of those agencies, Washington Department of Health and Oregon Health Authority, issued uh, do not eat any resident fish warnings for, for the one-mile area from Bradford, Bradford Dam up to Ruckle Creek. But despite those advisories, resident fish are still being eaten by the 
other fish that live there, the wildlife, things like birds and and mammals that eat fish, and then by humans that are that are catching fish from the area, despite of advisories. Historically, this area we talked about this. It was a very important tribal fishing area to Yakima Nation and other tribes, and it's still a very important tribal fish area, fishing area, and a popular sports fishing area for diverse communities. And the shorelines are heavily dotted with uh, tribal fishing platforms that the tribes use to fish for salmon, which are migratory fish. So they they aren't spending their lifetime there picking up the the burden of the load of contamination like the resident fish are. This is uh, something really disturbing. And um, and the way you describe this area is not what you see, is what you don't see, what mm -hmm. you can't see. This is one of the things that uh, struck me the most because I go to Bradford Island and I go to the area and it's a beautiful place. I had the opportunity to be there in that area and, and it's so beautiful. But it's, it's like you said, it's not what you see because people go to these places and they see the beauty and they think it's a safe place to uh, fish. And a lot of times communities go fish there, extract uh, the fish out of the water and they brought those fish to their tables, to their families, to feed their families. Uh, without knowing that they are bringing highly contaminated fish to their table and putting the health of their families uh, at risk because of the exposition on these chemicals like the PCBs and mercury that uh, they're high on levels on this area. Mm -hmm. It's uh, uh, interesting because we had a conversation with an engineer that he was talking to us about the Bradford Island and the contamination levels. Because yeah. that, that was a time when they extract uh, electrical materials out of the water, isn't it? That, that kind of... Yes. Yeah. In, um, I think it was in the 2000s. So there was, between 2000 and 2007, there was, they took out some of the equipment that had been dumped over the cliffs into the, into the river, um, different capacitors and transformers and mercury light bulbs and things like that. This is a, a lot more disturbing. So they started testing the waters in 1997, but they didn't take action till early 2000 to 2007. And um, so when they st started st uh, pulling out all these electric parts that were on the water, what this uh, person told us that uh, contamination levels were even higher when they did that they did a testing on uh, crayfish after they did the first attempt to clean up. He was mentioning that when they took out uh, a crayfish, because that's kind of a staple food for, for local fish in the area, resident fish, uh, when they pulled this uh, um, crayfish and they did a testing, he said, imagine that this uh, crayfish was living in a bucket full of PCBs. So this one was really disturbing to know that uh, even just pulling out the material, it did not fix the problem. It actually uh, uh, kind of uh, increased the problem because all the, the, the liquids, the PCBs, all the sediments stay on the, on the, on, on the bottom of the river. And these uh, small crayfish, they were more exposed to these chemicals. And for that, the resident fish who fit on them, they were eating straight from the from the ground of the of the river, consuming all these chemicals, which at the end will be fished by 
people that came to the area and ended up in the table of many, many families that they were uh, thinking that fish is a clean meat, safe meat, healthy meat, without knowing that they were bringing these highly uh, contaminated fish to their tables. Yeah, that's correct, Ubaldo. I, um, I, you know, I've been working for the Yakima Nation since 2015, but back in 2000 through 2007, Yakima Nation, my supervisor, Rose Longoria, was involved with the site at that time. And um, Yakima was very uh, vocal about um, that the Corps, U.S. government, the Army Corps of Engineers, shouldn't do these removal actions until they understood um, the site better because they were worried it could make conditions worse. And that, that is what happened. Um, what we think happened was, you know, by, by pulling this equipment out and they, they actually did vacuum up a little bit, uh, sucked up a little bit of the sediment um, that was at the bottom. What we think is that all those oils that had um, leaked out of these capacitors and transistors over the years, the, the PCB-laden oils, that those were now even more exposed. They weren't covered up as much anymore. And so I don't remember exactly when, but the crayfish at one point that they sampled, the crayfish were coated in oil. And so they, without the results, they couldn't understand, you know, they couldn't understand how much of the PCBs was in the crayfish versus on the outside of the crayfish coating it because you know, the way you sample crayfish is you blend them in a blender and then, and then run them through a, a, a chemistry lab. But it wasn't just the, the crayfish that got worse, um, that their, their contaminant levels got worse in their tissue. It was also the smallmouth bass. Those concentrations before uh, cleanup had, had occurred, the, the tissue concentrations were closer to 30,000 parts per billion, which is a very small amount, but doesn't take much to be toxic with PCBs. And after, after they um, did the cleanup and let everything settle out for several years, in 2011, they went back and resampled to see if things had gotten better or worse or stayed the same and um, concentrations had gone up to nearly 183,000 parts per billion. And the screening levels for human health for understanding, you know, would this affect human health is less than one part per billion. So billion. So these concentrations are 300,000 times the screening level. They're the highest that we've ever seen in the Pacific Northwest. And when we try to go look at other sites around the United States that are famous um, PCB sites like the Hudson River or um, the Fox River, the, these the Bradford Island still blows away um, those sites as well. The fish tissue concentrations at at Bradford Island are way higher than these other PCB sites that are much farther along in cleanup. And so it's very it's very alarming concentration much higher than Portland Harbor or the Duwamish, which are also um, PCB sites here in the North Pacific Northwest. And that's why our organizations, Columbia River Keeper, Yakima Nation, they are fighting to uh, classify this island as a superfound site. It is, yeah. The advantage of classifying this as a superfund site, which 
getting what what happens is is we petition with the state of Oregon and Washington and the Yakima Nation have petitioned the federal government to list this on the national priority list, which is um, associated with Superfund sites. And anyway, what if by getting on that list, you get greater attention, um, greater prioritization in terms of federal funding. You um, hopefully would have a more enforceable um, or quicker schedule um, to get things done and to be more protective. Um, the Army Corps of Engineers won't acknowledge state regulations, which are required to be acknowledged under CERCLA. And so um, we're hoping that state regulations would be acknowledged and that this would end up being um, a more protective cleanup that's done quicker with greater funding and expertise, the things it needs to in order to get done. Laura, can you uh, help us to understand better as the definition of a Superfund site? Well, the National Priorities List, um, which creates Superfund sites, um, is the federal government's way of trying to get attention and funding to the worst uh, contaminated sites in the nation, the ones that are doing the most harm to people and the environment. And to be honest, the not not a lot of states really want any of their sites to be ever listed on a on the Superfund list or the National Priorities list because they want state control. They want more local regional control over a cleanup. But in this case, with Bradford Island, we have a really rare thing going on where it's not only Oregon State that wants it to be listed, it's also Washington State and the tribes that would like this to be, that are asking for this to be listed. Um, and the reason for that is that the Army Corps of Engineers is, they are the polluter, they are the responsible party for for cleaning up the contamination that they cause. But because they are also a federal agency, the cleanup wouldn't doesn't normally go to does doesn't go to the Environmental Protection Agency like it normally would, and and the Envi Environmental Protection Agency holds all kinds of expertise in in um, helping sites get to clean up that are cleanups that are protected. Instead, what happens is the Corps gets to um, manage the cleanup and regulate the cleanup and decide what laws they want to apply. Um, they're in charge of their own funding. Um, and, and so it doesn't end up being a good thing. They, it, they get to be the fox that watches the hen house. And, and in fact, they have drastically different um, interpretations of the, of the cleanup laws um, and very different guidance for how to handle cleanup. And so a lot of times the, the core's um, final cleanup products are much less protective than if they were handled by um, the Environmental Protection Agency, which is who handles private um, sites um, that are caused by industry. And so um, by, by be, being placed on the national priorities list and being a Superfund site, this would allow um, the Environmental Protection Agency to be more involved, allow for that expertise to be brought in and allow for the state's laws to be recognized, hopefully, allow, allow for more consistent funding. The, the way the Corps has funded this over the years is very low budget 
and no no time no timeline of urgency. In fact, during the Trump era, these past four years, that agency struck the budget down to zero um, for one of the years, zero dollars for Bradford Island. So that's how much of a priority it was <laughs> for for at least one year there. Um, I think the regional regional Army Corps of Engineers recognized that they needed to keep moving and and tried to pull together some local, more regional funding. But it, you know, we we really feel that the Superfund and national priorities listing um, would bring it, it would make it a higher priority for everyone. And I think that's uh, really important for uh, our community to participate with our organization so we can ensure that uh, local and federal government classify this site as a Superfund site. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of sad and disturbing for me that I've been doing uh, some visits to the area, talking to local fishermen, and knowing that there is no signs that uh, let people know the risk they're taking when they're fishing for local uh, or resident fish from the area and bringing them to their families. So there is not uh, a signs that they tell people that fishing is not allowed or is prohibited in the area. Uh, I see people when I approach them and I ask them about did they know about the Bradford Island, the levels of contamination on that site, and they just say that they don't, they are not aware. You know, it's interesting the the health authorities like the Oregon Health Authority and the Washington Department of Health are not funded very um, heavily, and so you know even though they issue these fish advisories, it's really the polluters' responsibility to do those outreach campaigns and um, get the signs up and, and let people know. And that's not something that the Corps is focused on well enough. I know in, in recent years they've they've put up some new signs. I don't I don't really know what they've done in the past. But um, even our Yakima Nation fisher um, people when we talk to them are often um, craving more information because they want to be healthy and they want to make sure that they're selling healthy fish and salmon, which again, those are the migratory fish that pass through and aren't taking up the load like the resident fish. Um, but the, the, even the Yakima culture, um, within the culture, they're taught that every fish is a gift from the creator. And so if they were to catch a, um, something in that immediate area of Bradford Island, that one mile area, um, their culture would teach them to keep it and eat it. And and so depending on how much they know about the contamination at Bradford Island or um, or how how they follow their culture, they they may may or may not eat it. It's probably what we found is family dependent. But the Yakima follow the seasons. So when, when the salmon aren't migrating, those fisher families that live down there near Bradford Island are are um, eating other types of aquatic species that live live around Bradford Island as well and it's, it's very alarming and, and we really do not feel that slapping a, a fish resident a resident fish uh, advisory is is the answer um, we really believe that this area desperately and quickly needs to be cleaned up this this 24-year process is not going fast enough and um you know, people were eating the fish unknowingly for decades before that, um, and and those fish are a healthy protein source, and and people want to eat local 
yet aren't getting the information they need to necessarily protect themselves. One of the things that I would like to, to make sure that people understand is that the problem is with the resident fish. Like you mentioned, Correct. salmon is not a resident fish. They're just passing through uh, their seasonal fish. There is not a risk, a uh, high risk of, of eating contaminants from, from salmon. But the problem is that resident fish. And uh, I just want to make sure that this thing, uh, people understand this because the economy of our local tribes depends also on the, sun, on the fish they sell, right? And, and we want people to, to still understand that they're safe to eat the salmon that you can buy from native uh, uh, communities. Uh, but the resident fish, uh, bass, sturgeon, pike, these type of fish, they are not safe. That's correct. Very important to recognize the difference between those res resident fish and the migratory fish. It's the resident fish that are not safe to eat. The migratory fish are safe to eat. Thanks for pointing that out. Thank you. Laura, what's, the, what's the, the updates on what's going on on Bradford Island? There is something that's happening right now. So our community has uh, the opportunity to participate, to take action. Yeah, so in um, 2020 and 2021, Yakima Nation, Washington State, and Oregon State have been urging the federal government in the past presidential agency and in the current presidential agency um, to go ahead and, and list this site, the Bradford Island site, on that national priorities list. So it's, it's, it gets greater priority. Um, and we are hoping to hear more in a couple weeks, uh, potentially by mid-August is, is um, an estimate, but um, it could be longer, I suppose. And so we are hoping that folks um, can help us make a difference. Um, and the way that we are hoping community members can help make that difference is to learn more about the contamination at Bradford Island through sources like this this radio program or the Columbia River Keeper website to act on it. Tell your neighbors, talk about it with friends, let fishermen know that you're that are fishing in that area, um, in that one mile area upstream of Bradford Island, but also tell the government that you support a better cleanup and that you support that super fund listing. On the Columbia River site, River Keeper site, there is a petition for Bradford Island. The way I found it was I used the search word clean up Bradford Island petition and it, it pulled up the website really nicely. And there's wording already filled in there that you could use or you could add your own wording of, you know, why you think that area is so important to you and why you want it to be cleaned cleaned up quickly. And um, I, I know that uh, other ways to engage are, are um, you know, this Ubaldo and the community river keepers have have their contact information on that Columbia Riverkeeper site. But um, if you'd like to talk more to myself at Yakima Nation, I think giving Ubaldo permission to help direct you to me that could get you in contact with me. So one of the things that I also I would like to mention is that there is some senators supporting this assignation of the site, like uh, the senator, Senator Merkley and Wyden from uh, Oregon and uh, mm -hmm. Congress... Uh, Blumenhauer, Blumenhauer and Bonamici. So there are yeah. strong supporters yeah. of this super found listing and the cleanup of the Bradford Island. And I think that's uh, really good because that will ensure that uh, this definition, this um, 
uh, listing as a Superfund site on the Bradford Island will be close to our reality. Yeah, we're really grateful to um, those representatives for for helping out with this issue and for for using their voice. You know, their voice can be heard a lot easier at the federal level than than ours. And so that letter of support for national priorities listing is was really helpful. We're hoping. And I, you know, I can give you just a little perspective uh, from a a Yakima Nation elder, if that's all right. Yes, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm going to kind of quote and paraphrase from, from one of my favorite people within Yakima Nation, Davis Washines. He also goes by the name Yellow Wash, his given name. But he's a Yakima Nation elder. He's, he's the government liaison for, for our program. And he's just a stand-up guy who offers very sage advice and perspective. And, and so these are some quotes and paraphrasing from him from a, a recent article that was put put out um, to the public. And what he talked about were the facts are very clear. It's one of the most contaminated sites in the Columbia River Basin. And if that's not enough to convince decision makers that this should be listed, then I don't know what else it would take. That was one of his quotes. The U.S. government is responsible for dumping toxic pollution into and around one of the most popular fishing areas in the mid-Columbia and we, the Yakima, strongly support a new approach that protects people that feed their families locally caught fish. Toxic contaminants in the river degrade nat- the natural resources the Yakima people depend on, which were put there by the creator. Um, so in spite of the dangers, not to utilize the fish and salmon from the river is, is a danger to the Yakima way of life. I just thought that was so well said and, and wanted to make sure that some Yakima Nation perspective that was, you know, more directly from from our elders' mouth was included. Yeah, no, thank you. I think this is really important to bring those voices uh, to our community, closer to our community, so we learn about their perspective and their pain. They are going through uh, seeing uh, sites like uh, Bradford Island where they, for thousands of years they were fishing in the area and uh, protecting the river and now in just few decades uh, why community has been destroying what they protect they they have been protecting for for many many years and uh, and I think this is really frustrating for them to see this happening and for us we need to listen to these voices and take action participate and be part of their voice and protect or, or, or natural resources or protect the river, which is really important for the existence of our communities because without a river, we will not have any communities along this uh, beautiful and powerful river uh, on the Columbia. We have to see how much life this river produce. Let's uh, pay attention and look at these towns that they flourish uh, along the Columbia River. Uh, the cities where we, we see these cities like uh, Portland, Vancouver, how big they are and how they've been flourishing because of the Columbia River. Uh, without the river, there will be no reason to have these cities or, or towns. So it's important for us to support their voices, protect the river that our, our lives depends on. It is really important. I agree, Waldo. And there's, there's one thing more thing I wanted to talk about. I feel like... Um you know, a lot of people think, you know, maybe the contamination would just go away over time. A lot of industry argues for that at different cleanup sites. And 
And the thing about these chemicals, especially the polychlorinated biphenyls, the PCBs, those, they're forever chemicals. They, once they get in the environment, they do not break down for thousands of years. They're incredibly toxic at really, really low concentrations to the fish and to the animals as well as humans. And so they hurt many of our organs and our body systems. They cause cancer. They cause developmental, like learning or behavior problems in infants and children. Uh, one of the ways they look at, at the, the people who are toxicologists look at it is if you're, if you're a woman who is ever going to have a child, you can pass that along, the PCBs along in your breast milk because it, it, it's, it likes to hang on to fats and, and the fats are passed along in breast milk. And so um, it's especially w- important for women, um, women to not. Uh, accumulate PCBs in their body. Um, but PCBs also bioaccumulate and because they stick to your fat, they, they stay in your bodies and they stay in the environment. And so once they're released into the river and get in the sediment or the water, the, those small bugs, the plants, the algae will, will um, start to take them in. And then the next, the next um, animal group, like the crayfish and the minnows, they'll start to eat it. And, and each time you go up the food chain, those concentrations increase in their bodies. And so then the predators, like the birds, the mammals, the larger fish, they have even higher concentrations and, and, and so on. And so these PCBs build up in, in our environment, in the animals, but they also build it up in the bodies of humans too. And so um, one of the most common ways for a toxic chemical to enter our bodies, a human body is through the consumption of, of fish. But it's also affecting all the fish and birds and mammals and other small animals that are being exposed to it too. Yeah, it's really um, impressive how these uh, chemicals affect the health of not just uh, us as humans, but the, the, the health of any living creature on the area. And I think everybody has the right to have a healthy life uh, from us as humans, but also fish, and small uh, animals that they feed from this area. And we don't have the right to disturb the uh, health and destroy their lives, because this is one of the things at the end, we are also affecting this wildlife. I don't think it's fair that they are suffering uh, for actions that somebody from our species. No, I agree. It's a, it's our, I think the Yakima Nation feel it's our responsibility to speak for those who cannot speak the resources and to honor and protect and restore the Columbia River, not just for the Yakima Nation, but for our neighbors. The Yakima Nation will continue to be here and all of our diverse neighbors will continue to be here and we, we all need to take care of it so that this is a resource for the, the next generation and the next and the next. It's important for us to take uh, action and participate and uh, amplify our voices so we can protect the future of our communities and give an opportunity to our kids, grandkids, and uh, to have a healthy life and to have the opportunity, the same we have, to live in a clean river, to eat from the clean river, and to have a healthy life. I agree. I agree. What will be the next steps are from our community that we need to take in order to, to protect the river? Well, um... We would love it if folks would go to that Columbia River Keeper petition to clean up Columbia River and, and submit that. That that might help 
um, sway the federal government in the next couple of weeks here um, as they're doing their final review and making their decision on whether or not to list it. Um, and beyond that, we're going to stay involved. The Yakima Nation will stay involved at this site um, to continue to advocate to for the for the federal government to listen to the science, to do good science, um, and to do a protective cleanup. And so we will continue to be a voice and try to educate the public. And Columbia Riverkeeper has been really great about getting information out there and helping us get information out there to the public through different venues like like this radio program and, and there's another speaker series and, and the website so we'll continue to try to get the information out there and be an advocate for a better cleanup like you said also columbia river keeper will stay uh, will stay side by side with a uh, jacama nation and uh, stand up to protect uh, Bradford Island and our communities. I invite people that they are interested to learn more and see what kind of actions you can take in order to protect uh, Bradford Island. Visit uh, columbiariverkeeper.org and uh, you will find a lot of information there. Also, there is a section in Spanish. So if you want to read about Bradford Island in Spanish, we have our Spanish section in uh, Columbia Riverkeeper. So that's information that you can uh, understand and, and it's accessible for uh, people that do not speak English. So it's important for us as a community to participate and stand up together with Jacama Nation, Columbia River Keeper to protect our beautiful uh, Columbia River. Well, Laura, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate that you took the time to have this conversation and to share with our communities uh, what's going on in Bradford Island and how we can take actions in order to, to protect this river. Thank you, Abaldo. Thanks for making this uh, an important topic for your program. And I, I hope everyone can get out and enjoy the share and share the river with everyone because I think the more people that are out there enjoying the river, the more people that will want to protect it. So thank you very much. Thank you, Laura Shaira from Jackham Nation. Thank you very much for your time. and. Usted está escuchando Radio Tierra en el 95.1 FM Hood River, 95.9 FM Stevenson, 107.1 FM Parkdale, 107.7 FM Dells, Casas, El Latido del Gorge, su radio comunitaria. You can always close your eyes, but you can't close your ears. Hola, los invito a escuchar Conoce tu Columbia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada otro martes de 7 a 8 de la noche. Entérese de lo que pasa en las comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Columbia. Compartimos información sobre la importancia de proteger nuestros recursos naturales. Además, tocamos temas de justicia social y culturales que son relevantes para nuestras comunidades. Recuerde, escuche Conoce tu Columbia en Radio Tierra, el latido del Gorch, tu radio comunitaria. Qué difícil cantarle a Tierra Madre que nos aguanta y nos vio crecer.